Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyal Law School professor Jessica Levinson. We are, as always now, at the end of the week, joined by the show's producer and frequent cameo maker, Joe Armstrong. It's been a really strange week legally, of course, because Joe, you and I spoke about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and about the initial discussion of uh, who was going to fill that vacancy. And today, we're going to talk about two main topics. The first is um, court packing. And the second is peaceful transfers of power. So hello, Joe. Hey, Jessica. Uh, The plot thickens, as they say. So much has happened in the last week. Let's dive right in. The first thing we're talking about is what exactly? So the the first thing we're talking about is, I feel like I'm in class, is court packing. And to set the stage for everybody, let's go back to February 2016. Justice Antonin Scalia passes away. It's about nine and a half months, I think, before the election. Uh, President Obama, as is his power under the Constitution, nominates somebody for the vacancy. He nominates a man named Merrick Garland, who is still a judge to this day. And Senator Mitch McConnell says, absolutely not. No hearings because we're in an election year and the American people have to decide who the next person to pick this justice will be. Apparently creating some sort of rule that your president for three years when it comes to picking Supreme Court justices, but four years for everything else. Fast forward to September 18th, 2020, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away. President Trump says, I'm going to nominate somebody to fill that vacancy. And Mitch McConnell says, great idea. Let's fill it without any delay. And Joe, should we pause here for a quick discussion about what he says are the differences between those two situations. So, Jessica, if I'm understanding this correctly, and in my online research about the things that have taken place in the last week, we have a situation now where a particular journalist called what McConnell is trying to do the accept on Tuesdays scenario, which is different from what happened last time, because what McConnell said last time with Merrick Garland was, as you said, you know, rendering 25 percent of a president's term useless when it comes to appointing someone to the Supreme Court. Now we have a situation where it's McConnell saying now he's kind of changed his tune a little bit, which seems to me, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, is a little bit of blatant hypocrisy, maybe even a lot of blatant hypocrisy. But the difference now is McConnell is saying, except on Tuesdays, and by that I mean when the presidency, when the president is a Republican or when it's the same party as the control of the Senate, then they can go ahead and do that, right? Have I got that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that this is not tortured logic. This is just no logic at all. What Mitch McConnell is basically saying is if the American people decide to elect a president and a majority of the Senate from the same party, then when they're doing that, they are sending a message that they want that president and the Senate to fill a vacancy. But when they instead have a president from one party and the Senate is controlled by a different party, then they're somehow sending the message that you need to wait until the next election. I just think this is preposterous. I mean, really just say this is a shameless political move. And it's very important to me that we fill this seat. And at least then you're not lying to the American public. And what's amazing is that 
I think it's going to work. And that really brings us to court packing. So the Democrats and some independents feel, and let's just pause here to say it really is amazing that this is breaking on party lines, because this is a question of consistency, of respect for our institutions. This really shouldn't come down to party registration. And yet again, of course it does. So what's going to happen? President Trump will announce a nominee and then uh, Senator Mitch McConnell will schedule hearings, I think, well before the election. I think we're going to have a new justice before the election. And then Democrats are left saying, what are our moves? Do we have any more moves left on the dance floor? And the truth is, no, they don't. Because in 2017, the rule was changed. Mitch McConnell changed the rule so that you only need a simple majority to confirm Supreme Court justices. This is to match a change that was made by Democrat Harry Reid, where he changed things so that it was just a simple majority to confirm lower federal judges. And so Democrats are left feeling like they have no recourse. And so the recourse that's been discussed is whether or not to add Supreme Court justices to make the court bigger. And the idea is, if Joe Biden wins, uh, then he can appoint more liberal justices, and that will basically water down the power of the conservative justices. And we won't have all of these six to three super conservative decisions for the, you know, decades and decades. Should Should we now talk about all the problems with that solution? We should. And just to clarify a little bit, there is nothing in the Constitution that states how many Supreme Court justices there are. Is that true? That's exactly right. This is set by federal law. So we have had as little as six. Um, But I believe it's actually since 1869, we've had nine justices, including one chief justice. So we've had this for quite a while. For obvious reasons, you want uh, an odd number for tiebreakers. And nine is settled on in part because the justices can still form working relationships. I mean, you can imagine if you had 17, uh, 21, it really changes the Supreme Court and how they work and whether or not it's a small collegial body. And so the discussion again is, well, you know, how are we going to try and regain any power by Democrats? And the idea is, well, we'll introduce legislation if, and this is a big if, right, If the presidency is won by Joe Biden, if Democrats win the Senate, then the idea is we'll pick a new number. Maybe it's 13. Now, there's a couple of practical and theoretical problems with that. The practical problem is Joe Biden doesn't seem particularly energized to do this at all. I think he's outright said, I'm not in favor of increasing the number of justices, and they would need his signature. Now, maybe if there's enough political pressure, he his view could be changed. But then there's the other problems, which is, it's, it's the same issue for me as when we change the filibuster. If you're in the minority, you love the filibuster. If you're in the majority, you hate it. And Increasing the number of justices is not necessarily a win for Democrats long term, because at some point, it's going to be a Republican president who can then has even more vacancies to fill. So it is a short term fix, but it's kind of an inelegant one, to be honest. 
Well, given what's on the line, I understand why they would turn to such you know, nuclear-level measures, because if they do get a 6-3, the Republicans, by, by they I mean the Republicans, if the Republicans get a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court, uh, I mean, that's decades and decades and decades of potential Republican rule in terms of that. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, I would say with the caveat, like conservative the rule of conservative legal thinkers, not necessarily Republicans, but your point right. is well taken that it will change the face of our country. I mean, when people think about the Supreme Court, I think the first thing they think about is reproductive rights on both sides of that debate. And then there's a lot of big cases coming up dealing with uh, freedom from discrimination, particularly the LGBTQ community, uh, religious rights, uh, the rights of criminal defendants environmental protections, First Amendment rights, voting rights, uh, you know, protections against specific types of workplace discrimination. The Supreme Court is very, very powerful. So I understand this impulse to, well, let's not let this happen. Let's not, for those who support Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, let's not let her legacy be destroyed. The better solutions are harder, which is to create term limits for the Supreme Court, create a really long term, maybe it's 18 years, stagger the terms so that each president has one to two appointments. And then we don't have the situation where, you know, President Trump might have three or if he's elected, more appointments if he's reelected. But another president might have no appointments. So that does take a change in the Constitution, because under the Constitution, federal judges have lifetime appointments. The idea is that they are completely removed from politics and from political pressure. And I think there's a lot of good sense in that. The problem we're seeing now is just how it's really created a breakdown, I think, in our institutions, in the Senate, and to a certain extent, you just can feel the Supreme Court cracking. Yeah, it seems that, you know, watching it just in my lifetime alone, the Supreme Court has become increasingly politicized. Whether it should be, you know, uh, an impartial body or not, it seems like it's that's almost lip service at this point. It is. You know, a lot of the decisions that the Supreme Court makes actually are not split six to three. But the ones that we talk about, the ones that make headlines in the areas that we just mentioned... I don't see any other option other than that those will be extremely conservative decisions for a long time going forward. And therefore, I understand this idea, well, let's pack the court. And I think there's some hope on behalf of Democrats that just saying it, just the threat might be enough. But as we talked about, there's practical problems with actually doing it. It's not clear if if Joe Biden is elected that he'll even go along with this. It's not clear that Democrats will retake the Senate. I think it's just the only play that Democrats have left right now. It's political pressure and it's saying we'll pack the court. Uh, it seems like a Supreme Court uh, arms race. You know, are we going to wind up with 157 judges at some point? That would make for a difficult round of writing majorities, concurrences and dissents. So that's basically where we are. That's a court packing debate. I hope that listeners found that useful. One thing that I know you and I wanted to touch on is, and it feels surreal to even mention this, but the president a few times this week has said 
that he's not sure he's going to accept the results of the election. And he's called into question whether or not we will have a peaceful transfer of power. Joe, I want to hear your thoughts. For me, one of the things that makes our American experiment work is that there's two people and they fight it out to be leader of the free world and they might disagree on everything and they might frankly hate each other. But the election is called, there might be some litigation, but then the litigation is resolved and they shake hands and they say, I'm an American, you're now my leader and I wish you all the best. And we're not in that paradigm anymore. Yeah, it strikes me as just another example of the increased divisiveness in our society, the increased politicization of our government. I mean, it sounds funny to say that our government is politicized, but at one point their job was to, you know, <laughs> make sure everything runs smoothly, you know, the common defense, uh, protection of the, you know, without getting too deep into political theory in terms of what you believe and where you come from, uh, keep everybody safe, keep the roads patched, uh, you know, make a set of consistent laws so that we can all get along as best that we can. But now here we are in another situation where, you know, this is norm breaking again. You know, it would be unthinkable to hear, to think of any any other president. You know, you think of Richard Nixon, you know, he even stepped down when the time came, when it was clear that what he had done was uh, in violation of the law. But now we have in Donald Trump someone for whom this seems to make no difference whatsoever. It really is surreal, but I've had a lot of questions this week about what, you know, what happens if the President of the United States does not accept a Supreme Court ruling? What happens if the President of the United States just says, I'm, I know you certify those election results, but I don't buy it. I'm not leaving. I'm very comfortable here. You know, what happens when he says, I won't go? And there's a specific part of the country that supports him in that. And um, I really, really hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, either way, I hope that there is a full and fair counting of all of the election results before we come to a conclusion. And then, then if Joe Biden wins, there's a peaceful transfer. And if Donald Trump wins, then we all at least have faith in the results because anything short of that. And we really are now at a place where it's an existential crisis for the country when the leader of the free world is not even joking, but is just openly saying, yeah, I don't know if I'll buy the election and I don't know if I'll even adhere to it. And there are so very many threads to this. This election was already going to be a complicated election with the drastically increased number of mail-in ballots due to the COVID pandemic. So we are looking at millions of extra mail-in ballots. And we all know that, you know, Donald Trump all summer long has been working to undermine the concept of mail-in voting, saying that it's going to be a fraud. So, you know, I don't know where we go from here in terms of this. I mean, I don't think anybody does. There were several really interesting articles and there was a lot of kind of gnashing of teeth and some very frightening articles. There was one in The Atlantic and there was another one written by a game theory expert about the potential outcomes if Trump does not accept the, uh, you know, if Biden wins or it looks like he's going to win. And, you know, we've, we, you and I have talked about the blue shift before and what happens then. And, you know, some of those things are meant to sell magazines and they're a little frightening and they're good for keeping you up all night, as we know. But, you know, the reality, we're all going to have to live through this in the next eight weeks and six months. It's going to be a very interesting ride, methinks. 
Absolutely. And we actually talked about a lot of these election nightmares uh, in an episode that came out on September 11th. So we won't recount them all here, but we will direct listeners if you want to hear more nightmares, maybe don't listen right before bed, then we do have about 20 minutes on that. But I think we probably want to end with the message that we have ended with a number of times, which is all of these ways that the government may try to call into question the validity of our elections or in direct or psychological ways try and suppress the vote. The way to overcome it is to vote. Register. If you have to, request your ballot. If you don't have to request it, fill it out and do not delay. Imagine you're Mitch McConnell. Without delay, I am returning my ballot and make sure that you dot your I's, cross your T's, because there can be problems sometimes with things like signature verification, and then send it back in. Because again, that is the way to make sure that this American experiment does not collapse. Yes. And if you are comfortable doing so, uh, in-person voting is still going to be a thing. You know, many... uh I've read statistics that a lot of Republicans have said that they plan to vote in person. So regardless of which party you support and if the election matters to you, you're concerned about the validity of of, uh, mail-in voting, go to the polling place. Most states, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but most states have some kind of early voting provision where you can go in person and you know maybe go on a time when not you know someone's not going to be there if you can if you have a flexible schedule go in the middle of the day on Tuesday uh and you know other than election day Tuesday and place your vote that way so there are many ways to do it and to Jessica's point do everything in your power to make sure your vote gets counted because that's how we keep this train on the rails thank you for passing judgment with us Joe Armstrong we covered a lot of really important things we're so grateful to the listeners who have found us, uh, who found us a while ago and have stayed with us. We really appreciate it. And if you want to provide us with any sort of feedback or you want us to cover some topics, please feel free to tweet me at Levinson Jessica. The show has a Twitter at Passing Judgment Pod. You can see the show on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Joe, we can find you across social media at In Depth Day. You have your own podcast all about music. You are a brilliant musician when you're not doing this. And we thank everyone very much for listening and we'll see you next time.